today? Good, good. Early morning risers. Hey, I want to share a, um, want to share a little uh, like uh, fridge art that one of my daughters, Brianna, wrote for me when she was about five. So this is now, holy cow, it's about six years ago. I've shared this, I think, once before, but it's just, it's just an absolute classic. And you know how the fridge art looks, right? I mean, can you, can you see it has like, let's zoom. Can we zoom? Zoom, 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 zoom. No, it's just, it's not going to work. But let me read it to you. It has all like the uh, misspellings and all that cute stuff. And it says, Dear Dad, she writes, Remember, I love you so much. I can't count love you with all my heart, soul, and strength. No one thing, even if in anything happens to you, like dies, or get hurt, or drunk, I'll love you, always never doubt, love is better than hate, I love you always, says Brianna. Isn't that the cutest thing ever? That is just the cutest thing ever. Um, I think that was when she was first exposed to this concept of alcohol, um, you might be wondering what goes on in the Diebel house, and we'll talk about that maybe a little bit later. I was um, flying out to California about two weeks ago. Uh, I was on my way to In-N-Out Glory. I hit it three times in four days, people. It was amazing. And, um, and at KCI, I saw and was reminded of a quote. It was on the outside of one of those restaurants in the airport. And here's the picture I took. It's from Benjamin Franklin. He says, beer is proof that God loves us and wants us to be happy. True? <laughs> um, so, you know, the great founder of our country, uh, for all of his aphorisms, wisdom, and, and all that, theologically, his acumen, I mean, we, let's, so if we, let's put the picture back up for a second. Let's just break it down. Uh, does God love us? Yes. Check, right? Um, does he want us to be happy? Depends what you mean by happy, right? We can kind of get carried away and, and, and uh, conjure up our own definitions of happy. Um, but there is some biblical truth to this. So look with me here at Psalm 104. And the psalmist writes, he makes grass grow for the cattle. Who's the he? It's God, the creator of all. And plants for people to cultivate. Bringing forth food from the earth. And then look at this. Wine that gladdens human hearts. Oil to make their faces shine and bread that sustains their hearts. We'll talk about this a little bit later on, that within the Bible, there's this broad context as it relates to alcohol of celebration and connection and caution. We're going to talk about that because there is this kind of both. And where the concept or the topic of alcohol might strike you this morning, it could be kind of in a fun, trivial place. It could be in a real devastating tragic place where alcohol is played an overly dominant part of your story 
or the story of someone who loves. And we certainly know that to be true of our culture at large. I mean, our culture has this, like, this infatuation with alcohol like a teenage crush. And we see it all over. I've just um, read not too long ago that there are now multiple companies that are uh, developing what they call uh, hy- hydration recovery therapy which is they will bring the IV drip bag to your home to help you with your hangover. They will literally come to you if you cannot get out of your bed to uh, hook you up and attach you to an IV drip. And in fact, I just read there was, there was a death recently. Uh, the KC Star just reported that. Now, of, of course, they say, well, you can get your B12 vitamins and all of those things. But this thing started in Vegas like seven years ago for the purpose of just saying for the people that have so many hangovers, um, le- there's maybe a business opportunity here. Now, if you have a hangover, they're like, we want hydration, okay? But here, here's the point. If we just step back and we look at our culture and we just go, really? Really? We've, we've come to this point of giving it this real technical, you know, nourishing name, hydration recovery therapy, and yet, um, there's people really dying inside around this. And so we're going to talk about alcohol today. I don't think in my near 15 years of being a lead pastor that we've actually ever on a Sunday uh, had a conversation about it. So I'm pretty, I'm pretty eager to do that. And it comes along with the scripture that we've been in. We're in the book and letter of Ephesians. We're, we're reading from the Apostle Paul this great letter he's writing to these people. He's just reminding them, like, look, you are loved by God, like God has rescued you. You are a son or daughter of God, and, and I'm going to call you to walk in the way as loved ones of God. And what does walking in love look like? And that's where we get the series called Walk This Way. And over the next few weeks, we're going to get into some pretty robust, gritty kind of topics. Next week, we're going to come to a passage that deals with sexual brokenness and sexual healing. So I just want to make you aware of that. This would be the time where we go super important. want you to be here, but your kids, if you have children, probably not. And uh, kids, if you have parents, probably not. Don't bring them either. I'm just kidding. But whenever we, whenever we hit like heavy topics, people come to me like, man, I brought my 80-year-old mom. Why didn't you warn me? You know, so here's your warning. But um, seriously, it'll be a very important topic. We want to just um, make you aware that we'll be talking about both the beauty and design of, of sex and the distortion that we all experience. The next week, we'll talk about greed, which really a movement to generosity. How do we move to what you could call an arrows out generosity in our life? And that will be on the 24th. And then Eric Henderson um, I have asked to come speak from the passage where it says, making the most of every opportunity. He's going to talk about purpose. But today, we're going to hit alcohol because we come to this place in the text where the Apostle Paul begins by saying, don't. And I just want to pause there for a second. Don't. What is provoked in you, just forget about the whole rest of the passage, but when someone or when you read something and it begins with this don't, what happens in you? Just take quick inventory. What happens? (laughs) It makes you want to do it, someone said. Yeah, that's pretty good. Like, what am I not supposed to do, right? I tell you what happens to me. I just want to don't back. I'm like, don't you tell me what I don't need to, you know, like there's something that rises up. And where does that come from? Well, maybe at one level it comes from kind of the uh, maybe a a rigid or a legalistic background that you were raised in. Could, right? Or 
or, you know, maybe it was like an overly strict parent or teacher. I, I don't know, but I even wonder, I'm just going to leave this question open for you. I wonder if it even goes deeper than that. If we just go, when I hear the word don't, there's something that bristles. Why? Even if it's like the greatest wisdom in the world, what is being provoked in me? I'm just going to let you kind of sit with that for a second. Are you sitting with that? You engaging with that? How many of you just like, yes, you just go, makes me bristle, don't like it. It's, it, it just, it does something in me. Yeah. So Paul says don't. And what does he say? Don't what? Let's read on. He says, don't be drunk. Now that word drunk is methusko in the Greek. And you know what it means? Drunk. <laughs> That's what it means. Inebriated, wasted, plastered means any or all of those things. With wine. With wine. Okay, so he's being specific. So you might go, okay, well, I'm more of an IPA guy. I'm more of a bourbon person. You know, like, no, 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 no. Wine was just the most common uh, fermentation of the day. There were no distilleries back then, as best we can tell. There was some barley beer. Um, but wine was pretty much your alcohol du jour of that time. I think it's fairly safe to say that, um, and we'll see this by, by the nature of what Paul's really going after here, that he's talking about any kind of form of intoxication by any form of substance. Why, he says? Because that will ruin your life. Well, that's not unclear, is it? It's just pretty straightforward, right? So, hey, don't get drunk, be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Now, I want to be really clear here. The scripture has lots of cautionary tales about intoxication, about drunkenness. But really, that's not its end game. And that's certainly not the end game of Paul. Like Paul's like going, yeah, there, this leads to a destructiveness. I know so many of us in this room can say, that's true of me, or that's true of my dad, or that's true of my child, and I saw it firsthand and I've experienced the pain of it. Like we, we can say that, but Paul's end game is not only that. The end game for Paul is the opportunity cost of when we're filled by one spirit and forsaking the chance to be filled by another. Because he continues and he says this, instead, right? So remember, Paul's talking about don't walk this way, walk that way. A very practical way to know that you're loved and walk in the way of love in a way that builds relationship versus break relationship. He, so Paul's given us that like two choice way. One way is to walk that way, drunkenness, ruin your life. Now, instead, I'm calling you to walk another way to be filled, and that word be filled is the same, and I know this won't matter to you, but it does to me, it's the same grammatical syntax as the word be drunk. It's imperfect, it's Im uh, imperative, it's second person, it's passive, it's this thing that you can like fill you up, it's this like command kind of, or it's the, and Paul's just going, look, there's, there's the be filled with wine, and there's the be filled with, and what is it? And he says it's the Holy Spirit that which animates your life, that which will most bring you alive, the very spirit of the one who created all things, called them good and very good, the very spirit of the one who knows you in your, your, your inmost place, the one who knows all the depths of you, all the layers and complexities of who you are. 
the one who the scriptures say wants to bring you things like love, the one that wants to bring you joy, the one that wants to bring you peace in your anxiety, the one that wants to bring you gentleness versus violence or rage, like the Holy Spirit, that, that we would be filled by the very heart of God, the very person of the Holy Spirit. Do you see the contrast Paul is doing here? Don't walk this way, don't get drunk, it'll ruin your life. But walk instead this way, be filled with the one who wants to fill you with love, joy, peace, patience, and kindness. And then he goes on to say, and, and instead of ruining your life, you'll be singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts and give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That would be the outcome of walking the other path. The, the old path is get drunk and ruin your life or uh, walk in the way of the Spirit, be filled by the Holy Spirit and you'll be a part of a never-ending church service. Now how awesome does that sound? <laughs> Only the front row like that. Is that what Paul's saying? No, but he's saying that there is, there is a different way to live. There is, there is a new merrymaking. He's talking about two different forms of merrymaking. One that leads to our own ruin and the breaking of relationship with others. And one that leads to bringing us most alive in ourselves, with God, and with others. And I could talk a whole bunch more about that but I'd much rather you hear the story of two people, it's a married couple, Alex and Sarah Taylor Reed, who have literally experienced exactly what Paul is talking about. And I'm gonna ask them to come up right now if they, if they wouldn't mind. Sarah Taylor is actually one of our worship leaders and so I just thought it was super fitting that we're even uh, here talking about a passage that talks about singing and songs and being filled by the Spirit. And uh, would you welcome them with me please here to the stage. Well, hi guys. Hi. How are you? Good. So, uh, just tell us, just so we have a sense of um, just a little overview for you guys. You have been around the Heartland community, a part of the Heartland community for about how long? Uh, about three years, I think. About right. three years. You're a part of our young married community and bringing leadership to that. And Alex, I know for you, you also were a part of helping launch our AA gathering here as well with Denny Normile. Yeah, that's right. We have a group that was meeting on Tuesdays, and so, yeah, if you know Denny, talk to him, and you can talk to me, and we'll give you more. That would be awesome. Well, hey, I just want to pray for these two. They're going to share some very sacred parts of their story, a deep part of their heart, and let's just uh, pray over them, so join me. Well, Father, we just want to pray your peace upon the reeds. We want to pray your protection around them as they share so deeply and candidly from their heart. We want to pray for release, God, of all that you um, want them to say and all that each and every one of us need to hear from you today. Would you just anchor them as you release them, Lord? Anchor them in your love and the fact for every single one of us in this room, there is no condemnation for those who are in you. There's no shame here inside these walls or outside these walls in the kingdom of God. And so would you settle us and, um, and lead us in this time? In Jesus' name, amen.
Well, I want to I jump right in. You each have your own story, that, and it connects. You guys, like, drank together in middle school. Is that, is that right? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so there's, there's quite a story and journey here of redemption. Um, but Sarah Taylor, you, you said something to me yesterday about um, what developed for you as an addiction has become a gift that, that you almost couldn't envision not having. So could you just describe that more? Yeah. Um, I get emotional hearing you say that because I definitely feel that way. But um, I, I think for me, um, ever admitting that I had a problem, certainly um, something um, as heavy and something that carries as much shame, I think, as a drinking or substance abuse problem. Um, that was such a, I think I, I say this a lot, like the scarlet A, and I know it's not the same A, but you know, scarlet A, but um, that when I, when I came to ask for help eventually, um, after trying my own way so many times, what I thought was gonna be the end of the world you know, saying out loud that I needed help, what I thought was gonna like, I mean, end my life, um, has opened doors and a life that I couldn't have ever imagined. And it does on a daily basis. And, and it's almost like how I was just sharing with you, um, you know, the, the prostitute that, that comes to Jesus' feet and the Pharisees are, are looking at her and going like, Jesus, why are you wasting time on this woman? And he's like, I mean, she loves me more than you do because she knows that she needs me. And, and that's basically what I've come to find in this beautiful thing is like, I've been given this gift where every single day I have, like, I have to recognize my need for God. And um, like I am brought to humility, uh, brought to my right size, I guess, every day. And um, not everybody has that opportunity. Um, so, yeah, it it's certainly is a gift, yeah. Alex, how, how would you kind of add to that? I know that's a big part of your experience, too. Yeah, well, as far as my personal experience, I think it's very similar to hers. Um, in a general way, I think it's, it's that, you know, I, I found that I don't really believe we can have freedom until we're slaves first, in a way. And so we have, we have alcoholism or addiction that, or a lot of other things that can be a type of slavery, but then, for example, if you're someone who doesn't experience that, I think we, there can be sort of a self-imposed sort of discipline to where we actually really grow up. And I mean, that, what that looks like is just chasing after God with desperation. And, and so I found that the true freedom is what the gift is. And I've heard you guys say that, um, that everything that you read in the Bible this calling to community, this calling to chasing after God with all of your, your heart, the, by necessity, like maybe some who aren't predisposed to this or some who don't uh, suffer with this, um, it feels more like an elective. But for you all, you go, no, this is by necessity, like, like the desperation of a drowning man, you said. Yeah, would that be true? And could you elaborate on that? I'm gonna let you go first on this because I think you uh, explain this well. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you know, it's um, the first thing is that I, I found 
I found that freedom from this came through ultimately a change in behavior, but that change in behavior was out of necessity. It wasn't out of, it wasn't like morality or something struck me and, you know, I was just automatically sober. It was sort of this, this process where there was, um, I got to a, the complete end of my rope and there were no more options for me and I just started taking steps um, in any direction, which the only one that was offered to me was like some people who also had a similar problem and were like, hey, do this. But, um, I, you know, somewhere along the line, like pretty early on when the changes happened, when I look back now, the way I put it is that, you know, Grace had me just as much as I was taking these steps out of necessity. And so I, I really can't tell you exactly how it happened, but there was a little bit of what I was doing, but then there was this very obvious power that was at work that was taking me over too. Yeah, and, and I think what yesterday you said it um, in a way that really moved me too, um, was just like, I, I always talk about, like I feel chosen um, to have this problem um, because, you know, not, like there are so many people, I mean, who don't have this problem and they could get through life being just fine. Um, you know, not really growing, not really progressing, not really leaning on God, but like they could have a pretty happy life, you know, just fine. And because of this problem, you know, I keep putting that in quotes because it's really more of a gift to me. Um, mm -hmm. Because of this, I, like, it's almost like God loves me so much that he doesn't give me the option to choose him or not choose him. Like, I either choose him or I die. Um, I either choose, and I can't do it by myself. That's the other part of this. Is, and, and you kind of talked about that, this, you know, the Bible, Jesus teaching, you know, doing life together. And, um, and really, like, what Heartland does so well is, is encouraging us to do life together outside of, of a Sunday service. And, um, and that's another part of this is, like, I can't do this by myself. I can't do this without God. And so every single day I'm held accountable to God and to my community. And that's, I mean, not everybody has to do that. Like, it's almost like God loves me so much that he just gives me one option, you know. <laughs> so. Well, that is beautiful. Um, let's rewind for a second and just, um, Alex, why don't we start with you, just a, a bit of your journey. When did you first experience alcohol or other substances? And Yeah, and I would say as far as when, I was about 12 or 13. Um, that's definitely not a requirement to have a problem. I mean, you could experience for the first time when you're 60, and that could be the start of the problem. So, um, so that's when. And, the, you know, as far as what it was like, there's kind of an important distinction is that it, what happened for me was that the experience the first time, it was sort of like everything finally made sense. And that's not everyone's experience the, the first time they have a little bit, you know, too much. But for me, it, it solved this problem that was deep inside of me. And I was, you know, life went from being unbearable to enjoyable just in a, in a moment. And so that was a pretty big jump for me. And the result was like, I'm just chasing after this thing with everything I have. And, you know, and who wouldn't with that experience? Mm. And where did that lead, Alex? Yeah, that led to, it was, uh, it, you know, it, it was pretty obvious that everyone around me, including some of my friends who were 
doing this stuff with me were kind of like, hey, you need to change eventually. And I agreed, and, but I think ultimately I, I believed that it was like someday, it was one of these beliefs that like, there's no reason to believe it, but I just had the belief. It was like, yeah, you know, someday this is gonna be better. Um, but then I think it came to a point when it was like, wait, when and how is that gonna happen? Because it's very clearly getting worse and you know, there's no evidence to suggest this is gonna get better on its own. So, yeah. And that brought you to what I've heard you describe as a jumping off point. Yeah, it was. And that point for me was that I did not believe that, that I was able to be helped, but I didn't have any other option but to try. And so it was, a, it was a hopelessness that was actually really helpful for me at the time because I, had, I gave up in what I would call my way of doing things. And so it put me in a spot to where I was finally able to listen and be helped, which was, is rare actually for, for me at least. And is that when you went to AA or to, like what were the steps that you took? I, I got outside help and um, you know, as, as far as, you know, I won't be very specific on what that is, but I got, I got outside help and I, I found people who had the sim, um, a similar experience to me and, um, you know, someone who had been through it and had what I wanted and just said, hey, how do you do it? It's a lot like how you um, recover or how you get good at anything is find mm. someone who knows how and then ask what they did and then do mm. that. I've heard you describe it as it's not complex. It's simple but hard. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah. And it's hard except if you're really desperate. It's like if you're drowning, how hard is breathing? Like it might be mm. a, a struggle to get it, but it, you're not sitting there like, oh, this is difficult to breathe because it's like you have to. Mm. And so it, it is difficult in a way, but when you're ready, it's, it's really, it's not. Mm. But, yeah. How about for you, ST? Uh, you grew up in a pastor's home and uh, and so there was a lot of hiding and, and all that. And when did it first start for you? Yeah. Um, well, I would say um, my, I mean, first drink was, I think, 12. Um, and substance use, 14. And uh, I don't think I was, I think I was 16 when I first got drunk. But um, for sure, had a similar experience um, where the first time I got drunk, I was like, I've arrived. This is it. Found, found the thing. Um, and I want to do this every day, despite the fact that it was horrible. I mean, I was, you know, so sick the next day and um, had a lot of consequences, but it was like, that's the solution. Um, I felt okay. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, there was a lot of shame involved um, because um, my, my parents uh, were in this position of you know, authority in the church and having to look a certain way or thinking that I needed to look a certain way and, mm -hmm. and, and also just wanting to, to have their love and, and respect and um, to, to be right and um, in right standing with God, which I think started a pretty twisted view and relationship between uh, myself and God. Mm -hmm. um, and so there was this double life and then you know, later, I mean, I told you, like, later on, it just kept dividing to, I didn't know, it, there was no ounce of Sarah Taylor left. It was just um, a bunch of different random personalities that mm -hmm. I couldn't keep up with, and I couldn't remember who I was to you or to you, and mm -hmm. um, extremely exhausting mm -hmm. and totally empty, and um, 
you know, I, I also remember thinking, like, it was a phase, I'm young, um, one day I'm going to grow out of this, uh, once I get out of college, or once I get married, or once I have babies, and I just kept seeing myself hit those, you know, markers, and it was worse than it was at the previous marker, and, and realizing, you know, this isn't, this isn't getting better on its own, and um, I think when I had my kind of like jumping off point for me, it, it wasn't anything out of the ordinary. I was arrested, which most people would say that's out of the ordinary for them, but, um, but it, um, it wasn't like the worst of the worst times, but what happened was God gave a window, um, a window of opportunity for me, and for whatever reason, I decided all of the times in the past that I've, I've tried my own way, um, it hasn't gotten me where I wanted to go. So what could it hurt for me to try this other way, try some other way, even if it seems really silly, because it did to me at the time. Um, but, you know, and I always had in the back of my mind, I can go back to my old way. Like, that's easy. I know how to do that. Um, so that's, that was kind of my jumping off point was like, okay, these people clearly who have struggled or say they, I mean, the stories that these people had. Um, At AA? That I met, in, yeah, outside. Um, I mean, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, stories were very similar to mine, and, um, and they had a different type of life. And uh, so I thought, if, if you got through that, mm-hmm. maybe I should try doing mm-hmm. something differently. Um, yeah. And there was a moment where you, you literally said the words. I'm say, say, uh, Sarah Taylor, what was your maiden name? Sharp. Sharp. Sharp, sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah, describe that moment when you probably, when you finally put words to it. Yeah, I, I um, resisted that for a while. Uh, even though every time I, I would come and listen to people, I was sobbing. So there was clearly something resonating with me. I wasn't quite ready to admit that, um, that I didn't have this under control. Hmm. Um, and so I, I kept coming for a couple weeks and um, it, it clicked one day. Um, I was actually listening to an old man share his story and it was nothing like mine at all. But for whatever reason, I saw my story in his story. And um, I said it out loud, and I, I, I can remember exactly that moment um, where I was sitting, how I said it, the joy, um, like as the words like, came out kind of emotionally like they are right now, um, just as I said it out loud, the relief, the weight of the world coming off my shoulders, and that, um, that was probably the first time I was honest in... 15 years, you know, like even remotely. And it just felt like, oh my gosh, there's hope. What were the words? I said, I'm Sarah Taylor and I'm an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. And then there's this kind of swing hinge moment for both of you. Um, there's, there's God and his spirit meeting you each part of the way. And there's also a love story in the midst of all this. Um, and, uh, and I think it's just, it's, I think it's cool on multiple levels. Can Sarah Taylor, can you just uh, describe that a bit? Sure, I would love to. Um, yeah, so I, like, a, like we said, uh, I knew Alex from 
in middle school. We actually met at a, his all boys school m mixer in seventh grade where your mom like drops you off <laughs> and you know, the girls are on one side and the boys are on the other. And um, so I, I knew him for a long time, um, but we didn't, we weren't like close. Um, but when I was a, se a senior in college, he was also a senior, we both happened to move home to finish school. Um, part of our substance use actually, <laughs> kind of bad situations, moving home with our parents. And um, I started seeing him around and, um, and when I came to my first meeting um, for recovery, he was there. And I was quite shocked, taken aback, because I didn't want to see anyone that I knew, um, let alone a very attractive guy like himself. And uh, he was like buddy-buddy with all these old guys in there, like best friends. And I was like, what is the deal? And um, you know, I, I listened to him share, and I was immediately drawn to him. And, and I, so I, of course, approached him after the meeting, was like trying to find out, you know, what he did to have this life, and he immediately redirected me to um, a female uh, to talk to, which was sort of a blow to my ego. Um, I was like, I didn't ask that. Um, but <laughs> he, uh, you know, after, I, I mean, I, I guess I was a little bit persistent, and so he, he did eventually have a talk with me, and he just said, um, you know, when I, first came into recovery, I was given this beautiful opportunity to build my relationship with God, um, just me and God, and, and I would be doing us a disservice if I didn't give you that opportunity as well. Um, and he said, There's, there'd be no chance that a, a relationship would work out if, you know, if I didn't give you that. And it hurt at the time, but I remember being sort of confused because part of me was like, you know, no, I want a relationship with you. And the other part had never been loved as much as, um, and he later told me that was one of the hardest things he's ever had to do because I could have walked away, you know, from him, from recovery, and he would have never seen me again. But um, I think he knew that, that he had to surrender that, um, which was just such a, it's just so cool to me now, you know, seeing how this story of redemption has come together and that, um, now we're married. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and God's used this part as one of the ways, but one of the many ways that he's been walking with you and calling you to walk in a new way of love. And how, how would you just describe, um, Alex, you, you mentioned like grace had me more than anything else, and it's this mysterious thing, but how would you put to words just the goodness of your father in heaven and how he's led you these ways? Well, when you say that, the first thing that comes to mind is um, my experience is that I've gotten a lot of second chances, and they don't seem to be going away. I think that she probably just made me look like I have much better character than the reality is. Like, that was one victory there. Like, <laughs> that's not every day. Okay, but, um, yeah, it's, I mean, the truth is, like, I have a lot of struggles. It wasn't like, you know, I had a substance problem and now I don't have problems. And a lot of them are kind of similar in nature. I mean, my nature is that I struggle with controlling the way that I, you know, I react to life, especially if something makes me feel good. I have, I have an issue with, with that. And 
and it, it all kind of hangs in this tension of my relationship with God. But, but to answer the question, it's like God has shown me, you know, he, he's flexible with me. He, he meets my needs. And, um, I mean, if it wasn't for, for his ability to be, in a, to be graceful, like, I don't think that I would be here or have a relationship. Um, you know, sometimes there's desert times and there's times when I, I kind of feel like it's coming to an end and I'm losing hope. But then there's time when, I mean, that presence comes back and he's like, I'm still here and um, we, we can still do do life together like like we planned in a way because at the very beginning it was like a plan with God I was like I'm going to do this with you and so if if that makes sense that's sort of been the the dance that we've been doing and if I can just add like I mean I think we both agree on this the mystery there where I mean all all we have done and do have to do every day is literally just take a step and because I, I mean, there are still days today after doing this for a couple of years now, like where I don't think that I can do it just today. You know, I'm like, I don't think I can do this today. I don't think I can do the things I'm supposed to do. But all I do is just like put one foot out and it's like God just sort of takes me because I'll look back constantly and go, that's not me. Like, I mean, I, I yeah, I've, I've taken the actions, but only because he just kind of like guided me through and and all I did was just one step and then next thing you know my mind has caught up with all the actions you know hmm. when you're worshiping and leading us in worship how does this journey inform how you lead us hmm. oh, well if you ever notice I get emotional a lot I mean whether that's joyful or crying um, I think to be here, to be up here, to have the opportunity to like shout for joy, um, for life, for to show anybody like how um, it doesn't matter what you look like, you can praise Jesus however you want. Um, I don't know. It's just it's it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. It's very humbling. Mm. If you're connecting um, maybe in a very specific way uh, with Sarah Taylor and, and Alex and a bit of their journey and wondering, is this one of those moments for me or for someone that you love? We want to just uh, offer you some next step resources. Um, first is just our care and counseling here at, here at Heartland. I want to just ask you to call us or um, and hit our extension there, 330, and just take that that step. We also just um, have a bit.ly, if that's easier for you, just a pump, uh, punch bit.ly slash forward slash HCC care into your phone, and that will bring up uh, a web page of different services that our care team has put together. Um, and also just really excited that um, Alex and Denny Normal and a bunch of folks within our community uh, are now facilitating an AA meeting here at Heartland, and it's anonymous, and it's, it's all of those things. Um, you guys, what, what would you say to, um, to the person who's kind of like, uh, I don't know, should I, should I not? What would you say to the person that's connecting with your story right now? Uh, come talk to us. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. where you are in each story is, is so different that uh, I don't, I can't have, a, I don't have a prescription 
Hmm. And it it really just depends. I mean, my it, it would just I, I I have to have a conversation. Right. You know, it's awesome. I mean, if you if you want if you want a different way, definitely come talk to us. But we're not gonna like hate you if you don't want to talk to us right now either. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Can we just thank these two for sharing their story? I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray for them and uh, pray for us and then uh, we'll, we'll carry on just a little bit further here. But Father, we just say thank you so much for Alex, Sarah Taylor. Um, we're just trusting that the words that they have um, so courageously and candidly um, volunteered and just offered from their story. Um, it's, it just comes from such a deep place of truth connects so deeply with your heart that we know that it will not be wasted on us here today. It will not return void. And so, God, uh, whether this is um, just that jolt we needed here, right here, right now, or if we're experiencing uh, this conversation online, um, or whether it's just a seed that's going to go down into the soil of our hearts, we just trust you with it. And would you help each and every one of us to be faithful, oh God, with it. And God, would you be with Alex and Sarah Taylor, and would you just give them, God, a peace and a protection about their day, about their night, about their journey onward in walking in your way of love. And we pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks, you guys, so much. Thanks. Yeah. Hey, I, I wanted to um, wrap up by sharing with you some, some ways that I have grown to think about alcohol for myself personally. 15 years ago, I was handed the baton of lead pastor, and at that point in time, and I'd say this is still true for me, is um, never considered myself to have a problem with alcohol. When I first tried it, it didn't, it didn't have this like yes answer like what the reads described. For me, it was like, I like it, I'm not sure I have a problem with it. But now I'm being asked to be lead pastor. And what came with that for me was a realization that when I drink, I'm not drinking for myself or even for my family. I'm drinking for a few thousand people um, that God has put me in the care of. And that just, that just kind of opened up a picture for me. And actually, it's true for every single one of us. When you and I choose to drink um, or do anything of that, of that kind of variety, we don't just do it for ourselves. We're connected, relational people, and we're actually drinking for other people. We represent them and we interact with them. And so it's a much bigger deal than ourselves. And so I had to get clear on that question, like how as now a lead pastor, what does that look like for me? Our predecessor or my predecessor, um, the founder of our church, Craig McElvain, he didn't drink. He just like, I didn't like it. It wasn't this like legalistic thing. It was just like, I don't like it, so I don't drink. And that was pretty much the culture that was set. So then I just had to kind of think through, now, how am I going to process that question? So I, I went through what now I've kind of wordsmithed it a bit, but I went through a list of a few questions that I want to offer you because I think that this is something for each and every one of us. Um, so to the extent that it's useful. Number one, I just had to ask the question, what does the Bible say about this? 
And um, what I will just summarize is, first of all, it's super common in the day. Uh, Alcohol was used as a sanitizer for water. It was actually, in many cases, more common than water because it was, uh, there was, it was like, uh, alcohol was used almost like a purifier. It was also used for medicinal purposes at time and for the common, the common meal. And so wine was a very common theme. And you get this, this, this theme of celebration and caution like we've talked about. You also get the theme of freedom Bible doesn't say we can't drink. There's freedom to do it, but responsibility, which says, I am not just beholden to myself. I am beholden to God and to others. I'm a person who walks in community with others. I'm responsible to them. And so if I'm with somebody that might suffer with an addiction in some way, or if I'm with somebody that might have a different predisposition to it, the, the scriptures would call me to be faithful to my brother and sister and choose to restrain my own freedom. And so um, there's a passage here, just a a couple of uh, quick ones. Maybe the bottom line here would be, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Like that would be a headlining question. God, whether whatever it is that I'm doing, how can this bring you glory and how can this build and grow relationship? And if we go a little bit deeper, number two is, what was the life of Jesus, and what's the picture of the kingdom? Because Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So it begged this kind of interesting question. Okay, as best as we can see the life of Jesus, he's representing what is always true in heaven when he was here on earth. And so is this something that will even continue on in the kingdom of God in the heavenly realm? Kind of an interesting question, huh? So we look at the life of Jesus, and he was not a prohibitionist by any stretch. He was actually even um, confused to be a drunkard by nature of the parties he went to and by the people he hung out with. He, his first miracle, you might know, was he turned water into wine. And you see these moments where he is enjoying it with his disciples. I want you to look with me uh, quickly here. He's uh, at the Last Supper, and he has this what just really feels like a savoring moment of connection with his dearest friends and a cup. He says, I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine. He has a cup of wine in his hands from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And maybe you've had a moment like I've had many where alcohol wasn't this just like consumption thing. It was a beautiful part, not the goal, but it was a part of a connection thing. It wasn't this let's get plastered. It was I'm around the table with my dearest friends or with my bride or whoever, and, and we're, we're being present to one another. And that might kind of lean itself to the celebration end. So we're looking at the scriptures and how it frames up. We're looking at the life of Jesus and how he walked with this and how he even just kind of points a little bit to this idea that the heaven is pictured in terms of feasts and banquets and this beautiful gathering of people. So that's number two. Number three is the question, what most brings me alive? I think that's really what Paul was asking. What most, who or what animates your life? Who or what animates your life? And animate just means brings you alive. Your personality, your deep heart, 
all the things that make you you by God's very design. What amplifies, amplifies and animates that. So what's gonna make me the best friend? What's gonna make me the best husband? What's gonna make me the best dad? What's going to bring out all of my gifts and everything like it would for you? Number three, what brings me most alive? Because we know that alcohol or any kind of substance can bring us momentarily alive, but over the long haul, what is gonna allow me to step into my fullest self? Uh, there's a scripture here if we uh, look at it. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. And that really sets up the next question. How can I best love my neighbor? And, and by neighbor, yes, next door neighbor, yes, friend, but really thinking about in culture, how do I love my neighbor in a culture that's so saturated with things like alcohol? And it's this kind of thing like, yeah, it's over infatuation as a teenage crush, but it is also a great way to meet my neighbor. It's a great way to connect. It's a great way to start relationship. And so I had to kind of think through that. Okay, I'm a pastor and people will go, oh, you're a pastor. I was at a thing last night. And it was like, it, it was actually the 101 awards. It was um, the NFL big banquet thing, a gala and all sorts of folks were there. Uh, little people like Patrick Mahomes, he and I were hanging. But anyways, um, I'm just kidding, we weren't. But uh, it was so funny, you find yourself in conversations. They're like, well, what do you do, you know? And it's like, I wanna say, well, I work for the NFL network or something like that. And it's like, well, I'm a pastor. Oh good for you. You know, and it's like, chink, 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 locked in the box, right? Um, and so you have, so I was just like, okay, Lord, what will enable me to bring the life of Jesus and the life of his kingdom into those kind of places? And if this is not a problem for me, I know I have freedom, but I have responsibility. So how do I think about that shrewdly and wisely? How can I best love my neighbor. And the last, uh, second to last question was, what makes a great leader? So God, you're calling me to be a leader. And by the way, we're all leaders, leaders of our household, leaders within our companies, leaders in friendship. Um, the scriptures would say that as leaders, we are to be above reproach, above reproach. So I had to think through, okay, um, now I might have this freedom to drink. I might have a certain tolerance level that's different, higher or lower than, than other folks. But if people see me across the street at Buffalo Wild Wings and they see me have uh, two, two stacked plastic cups, what's that gonna communicate? Or if they just see me getting topped off at a restaurant, uh, do they know that's one or two or do they think that's five or six? So how do I be above reproach, knowing in part the position that I have? As a leader, I'm not more important than anyone else, but I do know that there is a symbolic nature to what I do, and I do know that there is a greater impact when I mess up, and that I'm responsible. I'm beholden to you as my community. I'm beholden to God. And that comes with a certain level of having to think through that lens as well. And the last question is, who is making this decision with me? And so again, 15 years ago, I went to my dearest friends, I went to my wife, and I went to our elders here, I went to our advisory team, at that point, and uh, here's where I landed. I landed on a, a one-poor policy, a one-poor policy, which is where if I'm out at a restaurant, I'll have one drink and, or a glass of wine or whatever it might be. Um, 
but not a, not a top-off scenario. Am I perfect in that all the time, by the way? No. But this has become kind of principally the guiding thought for me. And it's completely freed me up to, to enjoy a moment with friends, but just to not have to think about it all the time or wonder or am I close or am I driving or who's driving and all those things I just go no I just I just have one drink and I got to tell you the funniest thing so I I landed on this and told my friends and we all agreed and the whole thing and then we go out to a restaurant or to wherever and I would always get the smallest pour every single time (laughs) every time it was like you know everyone's like getting the big log glass and then they get to me and they're like you know, just trying to shake out the dregs from the bottle. I'm like, oh, of course. So, uh, so what I did was I got a big, like, glass Steiner is what I got. No, I'm, ju- I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I was asked yesterday, well, what about now? Because this was 15 years ago, but now there's things like Tank 7, right, where the alcohol content is 12 or whatever it is. And so, yes, you got to, like, think through all that. Don't get in the minutia. But here's what it's offered for me. It's offered me the ability to walk with people where they, where, where they are and also to model um, a healthy consumption. What I, what I hope is for all of us an increasing sense of walking in the way of love. And so I've got a, I've got a brew buddy. He makes, he makes beer and, and all that stuff. And so he, he made me my own little bottle. And so after he makes a batch and it says pastor pour on it, you know, and so I'll go and I'll hang out in his garage. And the first time we did that, we just sat down and and he poured me a glass, and I enjoyed it. And he's like, you want another? And I go, no. And I just happened to explain this one pastor poor. And what that did in his life is it opened up a mirror. I wasn't trying to. It opened up a mirror for him of his own life, his own relationship with alcohol, and also with his friends. And we talked about this just earlier this week, that it unlocked something of helping him walk in the way of love. We're all responsible to one another. We're all beholden to God and to each other. And we need each other in this space. We need each other in this space. And, and as we leave here today, um, I'm just going to pray for us. We're not going to stand or sing or anything. We're up against the clock. But as we leave here today, I, I hope you hear the heart of God for you. I hope you hear the heart of God for you. It says no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've gone, no matter how many steps forward and then how many steps back, there's no shame here in the economy of my grace. You know, in fact, I was just even thinking about this, this letter that my daughter wrote me. And I was thinking, you know, I actually think that this could also be the message of God for you and for me. And so that's how I'd like to close, by benediction. I'm gonna gonna read what my daughter Bree wrote to me, but I'm gonna read it um, as, as something from the heart of God for every single one of us. So would you stand with me? And would you just open your palms up like this as a way to receive, I believe, the deep heart of God. And he says this to you and to me. Remember, I love you so much. I can't count the ways I love you with all my heart and soul and strength. No one thing, even if anything happens to you like you die or you get hurt or drunk, I'll always love you. In Jesus' name, go in peace. Amen.